Okay, so uh, I've received a few really interesting questions that uh, you guys have submitted, and so I'm going to start with them. And while we're going, you're welcome to uh, type in questions in the chat, either directly to me if you want it to just be um, anonymous, or you can put it out to everyone as well. And I will attempt to to deal with all the questions that I've been sent in advance and live as well. We'll see how we go. So the first question, I'm just going to do it in the order that I received them. And this being that we're a week away from Gimel Tammuz, so the the theme of the questions is about the Rebbe, his, his way of looking at things, his philosophy and outlook. So the first question I received was, what was the Rebbe's approach regarding engaging with modernity? Which is a fascinating question. Uh, because we know in the Jewish world, there are various different approaches to modernity. Some shun anything modern, anything new, and stay away from it and try to recreate the shtetl as it was once upon a time. Others embrace modernity almost as if it's a part of holiness and Torah, that anything new and, any, and is, is good and whatever's going is, is the best thing. And as always, the Rebbe had a different approach completely. Uh, the Rebbe... His whole philosophy was really based on the idea that everything that we're given in this world, everything in the universe, can be used for holiness and can be elevated. And that's our mission. Our, our purpose is to try and elevate the world and utilize whatever we receive to, to make it holy. And so when we talk about modernity, so certainly the Rebbe was one who to embrace many aspects of modernity as being able to be redeemed, to be, to be elevated and to become holy. At the same time, not embracing modernity for its own sake. It's there to serve Hashem. It's there, it's there to make, make the world better, but it's not uh, innately holy. We have to make it holy. So, for example, uh, the Rebbe very much encouraged using technology now, for us, technology is using uh, apps like like we're using now, where we we can we can meet virtually. That uh, in 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 the Rebbe's days, and certainly in the early days, so radio was a big deal. You know, people would hang hang around and listen to the radio. And many in the in the Torah world did not listen to the radio. They saw that as an encroaching of the Goyish world into our homes. And what people say today. About, uh, about the internet, people said back then about radio, that by bringing the radio into your home, you're, you're, you know, it's, it's a tray for thing. And so therefore, people were very surprised when one of the Rebbe's big Hasidim, Rabbi Yosef Weinberg was his name, started giving a Tanya Shir on the radio, on the public radio. You could tune in on the radio and, and, and give a Tanya Shir. And so there were people who said, what, how could you do that? How could you use the radio to teach Torah. The radio has all these impure ideas and impure music, and here you're giving Torah classes on the radio. It was, there was a whole outcry about it. And the Rebbe dedicated an, an entire sicha, a talk, a fabrengen, where he spoke that, on the contrary, that if there is something invented called the radio, it has the potential to be used for great negativity, and it also has the potential to be used for great holiness. And our job is to redeem the holiness of the radio and to use it in a holy and positive way. Teaching Torah on the radio is spreading Kedusha, holiness, throughout the entire world. In fact, the Rebbe said in, he, in this you see a fulfillment of the prophecy that says, There'll come a time when the world will be filled with the knowledge of God. What does it mean the world will be filled with the knowledge of God? The Rebbe said, well, with radio waves you have that, that quite literally 
literally it's filling fill, the world is filled with the knowledge of god because everywhere you are you can tune in to a torah idea when there's torah on the radio and so that's not that the radio is innately holy there's there's a lot of negative stuff but you can use it for holiness i would say the rebel would say the exact same thing for internet internet was uh, invented or at least it became popular after the rebel passed away and so the Rebbe was not directly exposed to the internet or never spoke about it. But I, w I would say the Rebbe would say exactly the same thing about internet. We all know the huge amount of impurity, of negativity, of evil, of immorality there is on the internet. That, that, that's for sure. At the same time, it can be a tool to spread Yiddishkeit and Torah in a way unprecedented that we could never do it before. And so is the internet good or bad? No, it could be either it depends on how how we use it and our job is to elevate it and to use it in an elevated way so that's i think how the the rebbe viewed technology and so as far as modernity meaning technological advance the rebbe embraced it very much as far as the philosophies of modernity as far as the ideas and the concepts and the and the the, the principles of modernity so there it depends what you, what you're talking about the rebbe did embrace certain aspects of modernity and others he didn't the idea of updating morality that there's, there's a new right and wrong, that the Rebbe rejected completely. Right and wrong, it never changes. It's the same and, and, and stays the same forever. But there are certain aspects of modern thinking that the Rebbe was much more excited about. I'll give you an example. The Rebbe pointed out that in modern thinking and, and in the modern world, there's a very high um, value placed on freedom, on being free. It's hard for us to really appreciate this, most of us. If you grew up in, in Australia, to, uh, to appreciate what it means to not be free, we, we have no idea. You might think that you have a lot of uh, restrictions on you at school and in your home, but you're free. You're, you're living a free life. You can say and do and be pretty much what you want. You can walk in the street. You can, you can, you can be anyone you want. Most of history, most people were not living like that. Most of history, people lived in totalitarian countries where the government had total control over you, where the, you could not step out of line, and there was not a lot, a lot of freedom at all. There wasn't freedom of movement. Of course, there are some people who li still live in such places, but not, not as much. Maybe China would be a good example of a place that is still not free, uh, and a lot of people live there. But most of us, you know, pe people we interact with live in free countries. People understood that freedom as being dangerous because... When you lived under totalitarianism, you were a little bit stuck to your own little world. And so the Jewish people were also stuck in their ghettos, in their shtetls, in, in, in their little enclaves, and they lived a very Jewish life. Whereas freedom opened up opportunities for everybody to do anything, including Jews to be and do and act and, and go anywhere where you want. And many people saw that as a great danger. This is why there are some communities within the, the Torah world who have closed their gates and tried to recreate a shtetl to, to create a safe space disconnected from the outside world because there's a lot of negative influences. The rabbi didn't have that attitude. His attitude was that the, the new freedom that we have is actually a great blessing and it can, be, it can increase Yiddishkeit. Why? Because for the first time ever, we have the choice to do mitzvahs. We have the choice to live a Torah life. It's something that we're doing, not because we're enforced on it by some outside external force, but because it's coming from within. If you lived in the shtetl, so 
You kept Torah mitzvahs because that's what ever, all the Jews did. You couldn't interact with a, with a goyim back then. You couldn't, you couldn't become one of the, the, the nation. You couldn't just see yourself as a Russian or a Pole or, or a Hungarian. You were a Jew. And that's, that's where you were stuck. You had no choice. Today, you and I could decide, I don't want to live as a Jew. I want to be an Aussie. I want to be an American. I, I just want to be like, like everyone else. We have total freedom to do that. And we'll be welcomed by, by the world around us. That means it's risky. But it also means it's real if you choose to be Jewish. If you choose to put on a yarmulke, to learn Torah, to keep Shabbos, it's coming from you because of, of the freedom. So the Rebbe actually saw freedom as being a great blessing and, and embraced that, that very much. Of course, the Rebbe encouraged the choice to be a choice of Torah mitzvahs because that's what your neshama wants. But the fact that you can choose that actually makes it much deeper. And so the Rebbe said, the words of the Rebbe were that our Torah mitzvahs are in a way greater than all previous generations because we are doing it out of freedom, because we really want it. And, uh, and so that, I think that's a, that's a very powerful thing. That would, that would be my response to that question. Uh, let's, let's move on to the next one, uh, which is slightly connected. What was the Rebbe's view on following sports? Okay, so there were several occasions that the Rebbe spoke about sports. He often would use sports as a metaphor to understand spiritual ideas. And so it seems that, that the Rebbe was not at all against sports, playing sports or following sports. Uh, a few examples are that uh, on one occasion, one Fabrengen, it was in 1980, the Rebbe spoke about uh, soccer and, 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 and gave a whole metaphor about soccer. First he said, he spoke about a parent who is upset that their kids, that their son wants to play soccer because he should be learning Torah. And the Rebbe actually disagreed and said that, of course, we should be learning Torah. However, in order to learn Torah, you have to have a healthy body. You have to be alert and alive and well and strong. And therefore, you need a bit of exercise. You need fresh air. You need to get out. You need to let off some steam. And so therefore... If, a, if, a, if someone wants to do that by, by playing soccer, was the, 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 game, the game that the Rebbe gave the example, he didn't actually call it soccer. He said, if someone wants to play a game where there's a ball and you have to get the ball into a, into a certain place, that's, that's the way he put it. So if that's what, what you want to play, that's a great way of being fit and being healthy. And that's a good thing. As long as you do it for that reason. If you play soccer L'Shem Shemayim, for the sake of having the health and the strength to be able to fulfill your real mission, which is to learn Torah and do mitzvahs, so then soccer is a holy thing. You're doing a holy act, and that, 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 is, that is a positive thing. Uh, so the Rebbe was actually quite encouraging of that. The Rebbe also said there's another way to play soccer, L'Shem Shemayim, and that is that when, these are the words the Rebbe said, that when, when a, a non-Jew is playing soccer, he's playing so he should win. When a Jew plays soccer, it's so Yiddishkeit should win. How? How does Yiddishkeit win soccer? If you're playing soccer, how does Yiddishkeit win? If you play soccer as a proud Jew, you play soccer with your yarmulke on, with your tzitzis hanging out, you eat kosher before and after the game, you don't play on Shabbos, and you say when you win or you kick a goal, you say Baruch Hashem, you've made a Kiddush Hashem. You've, you've shown that a Jew can play, can play well, can play fair, and you can be proud of who you are. Then Yiddishkeit wins, even if you actually lose the game, Yiddishkeit wins because you played as a proud Jew. 
That's a that's that's a kiddush Hashem. That's playing the Shem Shemaim, and that's a very positive thing. The Rebbe encouraged doing that. So then it was interesting because because uh, the Rebbe said that some people may find it strange that I'm talking about soccer at a Shabbos for bringing in shul. So the Rebbe then said, well, the truth is there's a Torah source for this because he started saying that it says in the Zoya a fascinating thing that the world is spherical. It says in the Zohar that the world is round. Uh, the Zohar, remember, was written by Rabbi Shimba Yechai in the second century. And uh, the idea that the world was round was not known in the, in the general world until a couple hundred years ago. Uh, and so the Rebbe pointed out that the Zohar already says, and it's, it says it clearly that the, the world is round, and that's why in, in, in the one part of the world it can be day, while the other part of the world it's night, because the world is, is, is a sphere. So the Rebbe said, so the whole world is a ball. And, and so if, if the entire world is a ball, so our life is a big game of soccer. We're, we're, we're here playing a ball sport. And what's the, what's the sport? We've got to get the ball and we've got to kick it into the Shar HaMelech. The, the, literally, the Shar HaMelech means the gate of the king. But in Hebrew, a Shar is the goal. So, so the Shar HaMelech is the gate of the king, meaning we have to take the world and we have to bring it to its divine purpose, bring it towards Hashem. But he says, this is our mission. But because Hashem wants us to do this with effort, He wants us to feel we've achieved something, that we've actually done something with our own strength. So we have opposition. There's an, there's an opposing team that plays against us and tries to get the same ball in the opposite goal, which is he calls Pesach Shal Gehenim, the opening of Gehenim. That there is an opposing team, which is our Yetzirah, the powers of evil in the world that try and get the ball and push it the other direction. It's only there. The other team is only there. So we feel a sense of achievement and we, we, we actually overcome it. And so that's our mission to kick the ball into, into the goal. And uh, interesting, the Rebbe says, because that's what the whole world is about. The whole world is a big game of soccer, trying to get the ball, which is the world, into the right goal. So for that reason... It was nishtalshal. It's expressed in physicality that there's a game called soccer, which has the same rules. And you only enjoy the game of soccer when there's an opposition. If Imagine having a game of soccer with no opposition. You could get lots of goals, but how boring it would be because there's no, no, no sense of achievement. That's because in the spiritual realms, our whole achievement comes through the opposition that we have. And you and I have a Yetzirah, our opposition playing against us, trying to kick the ball the opposite way. It's only there so, so we can conquer it and, and get it the right direction. So... So the Rebbe, similarly to the first question about modernity, the Rebbe embraced modernity as a tool for holiness, for spirituality, for Torah mitzvahs. So too, the Rebbe embraced, embraced sports for the same reason, that sports can keep you fit, sports can create Kiddush Hashem. And so, so the, the Rebbe was, was pretty into that, I think. Several other examples as well. But we'll move on to the next question. Okay, I'll read the next question exactly as I received it. Um, the Khazars were a semi-nomadic Turkic-speaking people that were converted to Judaism in the 6th century of the Common Era. They also established a major empire covering the southwestern section of modern European Russia, an area very close, if not where the Rebbe was born. May this mean that the Rebbe may have been a descendant from the Khazar people, and moreover, May the Ashkenazic and Hasidic groups also be descendant of this nation. Okay, so 
This question is referring to the Khazar Empire, which is shrouded in mystery, but accurately the questioner says here in the 6th century, there was a, a, an empire, a group, a country that en masse converted to Judaism. Some say that the Kuzari by Rabbi Huda Levi, the great, a great work of philosophy, was written as a response to the king of the Khazars, who was seeking out a new religion. He was rejecting the pagan past of his country. He wanted to embrace monotheism, so he asked a leader of Judaism, Christianity, and Islam to write to him uh, an argument to try and convince him to convert to their faith. And the story goes, this has not been uh, proven that this, is, that this story is accurate or not, but the story goes that the book, book called the Kuzari was written to the Khazar king in order to present Yiddishkeit to him, which he liked. And therefore, he and his entire nation converted to Judaism. However, the Khazar kingdom was overcome, was, was conquered, and the people scattered, and there's no relic of it, there's no remnant of it. Some people said this whole story was imaginary. However, there has been archaeological discoveries in the area that, um, where the Khazar um, was, was said to be, where they have found Jewish artifacts there dating to this time. They actually do believe that this, this, is, a, this is a true story. It really happened. Uh, the suggestion in the question here is that because the Khazars lived in the area near Ukraine and uh, where the Rebbe was born, so maybe the Rebbe and maybe Ashkenazi Jews in general are descended from the Khazars, this nation who converted to Judaism. This theory, the theory that Ashkenazim descend from the Khazars was first uh, presented quite a long time ago, 100 or so years ago, by uh, a Jewish person, but was not taken very seriously in the scientific world and has never been proven. In fact, it's pr pretty much been disproven that there's any genetic link between Ashkenazi Jews and the Khazar people. However, the idea that Ashkenazim descend from the Khazars was grabbed onto by anti-Semites who were very excited by the idea that Jews are not really authentic Jews from Israel, but they descend from some, na some nation that converted, at least Ashkenazi Jews. This was taken on by also by Arabs uh, who are anti-Israel uh, and, and the anti-Zionist movement because this was a proof that the European Jews who, who came to Israel are imposters. They never came from the Middle East. They are, they are European converts. Uh, the Middle Eastern Jews, okay, they, maybe they're, they're for real, but, but the, the ones from Europe are, are not for real. So this idea is actually an anti-Semitic idea. Ironically, it would mean that, that Ashkenazi Jews are not Semitic. Because what is a Semite? A Semite means somebody who's descended from Shem, the son of Noach. And if we are these Europeans, so then we're not Semitic. So anti-Semites then actually shouldn't be called anti-Semites, they're whatever. But that's just semantics. The, um, the, the idea that Ashkenazim are descended from the Khazars has been disproven by genetic testing. Um, that's something that, 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 that can be done today. Uh, there probably are some Jews somewhere who are descended from, that's possible, but certainly not en masse, not, not a large group. So the suggestion that the Rebbe was descended from the Khazars, um, no real reason to say that. The, the Rebbe's actual lineage is pretty well documented as well. We know pretty much where the Rebbe came from. There is a well-known, it's, it's said that the Rebbe is a direct descendant of David Melech and, and from, from the line of Malchus based David. Um, it's mistakenly said sometimes that the reason why we know that is because the Alter Rebbe, 
was descended from the Maharal, and the Maharal, he had a direct line from, his name was Yehuda, but he was from the tribe of Yehuda, from David Melech, and so therefore, through David Melech, through, through the Maharal, the Alter Rebbe, the, and the Rebbe. That, that is one way that the Rebbe is descended from David Melech. However, that's not patrilineal. That's not through the, the, the line of the father. And uh, to be from David Melech's royal line, it has to go through the father. Because the Rebbe was descended from the Tzemach Tzedek. The Tzemach Tzedek's mother was the daughter of the Alter Rebbe. So therefore, that would not make the Rebbe from King David patrilineally. However, the Tzemach Tzedek's father, Shalm Shachna, was the son of Noach Altshuler. And Noach Altshuler was the grandson of David Altshuler, who wrote the Matsudas David. I'm sure you learned Tanakh. And one of the main commentaries on Tanakh is the Matsudas David and the Matsudas Tzion, written by Reb David Altshuler. He was the great-grandfather of the Tzemach Tzedek. Uh, and he, his name was David, and he was also known to be a descendant of David Amelech of King David. So the Rebbe's patrilineal line, his father's 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 line, goes to the Tzemach Tzedek, to the Matsudas David, and to David Amelech. Um, on his, mother, his father's father's mother's line, to the Alter Rebbe, to the Maral, and also to David Melech. But no Kezars there, I'm afraid. Okay, let's move to the next one. Yeah, are you with me? Good. Here's an interesting one. Uh, they're all interesting. Another interesting one. Does the Rebbe acknowledge the Yemenite Jewish community and their connections to the traditional Jewish practice? Great question. Uh, absolutely, yes. The Rebbe had great respect for the Yemenite traditions, and he was one of, of, of the main proponents to encourage the, the scholars, the Talmud Chachamim and leaders of the Yemenite community to propagate their customs, to record them, and to share them. The Yemenites have a very rich and ancient tradition. It's an authentic tradition that, that goes all the way back to... It's, probably the times of the first base of Mikdash that they ended up in Yemen. And they have quite a pure form of Yiddishkeit, which, which the Rebbe very much encouraged should be uh, continued. Uh, and we see this in certain, in, I'll give you a few examples of this. Um, one of them is that, um, uh, well, the Rebbe once in the, in the 80s encouraged there to be Sefer Torahs written, um, that the entire Jewish people should participate, not for children, but for adults, that adults should buy a letter in a Sefer Torah and everyone should have a letter in a Sefer Torah. But the Rebbe specifically said that the Sefer Torah should be written according to the customs of the communities. And he said, and he used the Yemenites as an example. The Yemenites should write their Sefer, Sefer Torah in their style. So it shouldn't be a Chabad Sefer Torah that we get people to sign up to. It should be the Yemenites write their Sefer Torah with their style of writing. And, and people should sign up for that in their community. Interestingly, the Yemenite Sefer Torah has something in common with the Chabad style of writing a Sefer Torah. Unlike the Ashkenazi style. And, and Svarati even, and that is that there's one word where there's a machlokas, p'tzua daka, the word daka, whether it's with a hey or with an aleph. Chabad have the, have the tradition to write it with an aleph, and the Yemenites do as well. The Yemenites have that tradition as well, and the most ancient Sifre Torah that have been found all have it with an aleph as well. So the Yemenites and, and Chabad share that. Also, if you've heard the authentic Yemenite pronunciation of Hebrew, so it is very similar to the Chabad pronunciation of Hebrew. Um, they say Lechodadi, uh, like, like, like we say Lechodadi. Um, the, 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 the comets, they say very similar to us. The Cholim, they say very similar to us. 
and um, and some say that they actually have the correct, authentic, original pronunciation of, of Hebrew. These are a few examples, but more than that, the Rebbe very much encouraged Rabbi, Rabbi Yosef Kapach. Rabbi Yosef Kapach was a scholar from Yemen who... Uh, he, he came out as a, as a, 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 it was a little child in Yemen. He was orphaned, um, but he was, he was taught with the great traditions of, of, of the Yemenite Jews. And he wrote a lot of books. Particularly, he wrote a whole commentary on Rambam. The Yemenites followed Rambam very, very strictly. And there were certain manuscripts of the Rambam that were found by the Yemenites that have accurate Mishnah Torah parts that in the European versions had been lost. The Yemenites had. And, and Yosef Kapach wrote an entire entire commentary on the Rambam based on the Yemenite tradition. And he published this book. And for the first volume, he received a letter from the Rebbe of encouragement that you should, that you should, you should continue doing your work, which is printed in the book. He then dedicated one of his volumes of the book to the Rebbe because of the great encouragement the Rebbe had given to him. And when the Rebbe came out with the Rambam campaign of learning Rambam every day, either one chapter to finish every three years, three chapters to finish every year, or to do a Sefer Mitzvahs, um, to, do, to do Mitzvahs, um, to finish it on a yearly basis, Rabbi Yosef Kapach very much got excited and embraced this idea because he, he had, he had uh, written all these um, books about the Rambam. But even more than this, the Rebbe particularly took to heart the plight of the Yemenite Jews who had come to Israel, brought to Israel, this was in the 1950s, uh, to, to escape the persecution that they, they had in Yemen. And on upon arrival in Israel, a very tragic and dark chapter in our history, many Yemenite children were separated from their parents and sent to secular kibbutzim or to secular families, told their parents had died and were brought up secular. These were Jews who had kept the Yemenite tradition and the Jewish tradition for centuries and millennia. Uh, they had the payas and they had, they, had, they had all the traditions and they were, they were fluent in, in everything. And upon arriving in, in, in Israel, sadly, the government at the time was quite anti-religious, wanting to shed the gullus mentality of keeping Torah and mitzvahs. And so they did something horrible. And, and this is, a, this is a, a, a bitter chapter in our history, but it's true that, they, that children were separated from their parents. The Rebbe spoke out against this. Um, publicly, and said that everybody has to do whatever they can to stop this, to fight it, um, to and, and to, to the children should be reunited with with their parents. Uh, that the, to, to separate children from their parents and to separate them from their whole nusra and their tradition it was it was a horrible thing. And um, in fact, one of the um, champions of this um, of, of the Yemenite cause, his name was was Samson Giat. He's written a few books about about his exploits to try and and uh, and save these kids from their separation. He said that um, he came to the United States to try and and uh, raise awareness for the the plight of the Yemenite Jews who'd been separated from their from their families. And he said that there were fifty three major American organizations, uh, you know, all around the United States, Jewish organizations, and he appealed to them. To support him, he's going to travel around America talking about it, raising money and, and raising awareness for the Yemenite Jews. He said there were only two organizations out of 53 of all these organizations, only two of them took up his offer. One of them was the American Sephardic um, Federation and the other one was Chabad. And that's because the Rebbe had said to take up this, this cause. 
And so uh, what Chabad did is they invited him to speak on cable TV. We mentioned earlier about the Rebbe's embrace of modernity. There was a Chabad cable TV station. This is, we're talking about in, in like the 80s and the 70s, uh, I think the 80s, where, where, you know, to be on cable TV, that, that was major. Um, and, and so Chabad had, a, had a, a station where they would put shiurim, rabbis talking. The Febrengans of the Rebbe would be put on cable TV live as well. And this was a, this was a, a huge embrace of technology and of modernity to try and spread holiness. And so they invited this Samson Giat, the Chabad cable TV station, said, come on, the, come on TV and talk. Tell people about what's going on and, uh, and we'll promote you. And so he was, very, he was very moved by that. But what's fascinating, just what happened was he went on this show and there was a woman, her name was Silla Levine, and she couldn't sleep. And the, the cable TV network, I mean, it, it wasn't like a 24-hour network. It wasn't like Chabad owned their own station. They had, they had certain hours that they were, they were on. The hours were not prime time. And so his appeal, his thing ended up being on 6 in the morning. This woman, Silla Levine, couldn't sleep for some reason. And so she put on the, the TV. There are 200 cable networks. She ended up on the Chabad sh- uh, cable TV show. And she heard this guy, Samson Giyar, talking about the plight of Yemenite children who were taken from the parents. And, and she heard this and she said, that's me. That's my story. I'm sure this is me. Her story, she called him and, she, and her story was that she, all she knew was she was adopted. She knew she was adopted. She knew that her parents, her adopted parents were Polish Jews and she didn't look Polish. So she knew she, knew she, was, she was from some, some type of Middle Eastern country. And, and her, the story she always heard was that, that her parents came to a certain doctor who worked at a hospital who had a bunch of kids up for adoption and they adopted her. And it was, it was always such a strange story. Why would, why would someone have a bunch of kids for adoption? She never understood it. And suddenly she hears the story of these kids being separated. She realized it's her story. And so eventually she was, she was reunited um, with her family, but through a lot of pain. And so this was something that the, the Rebbe saw as being a real crime and, and, and very much took on the cause of what, what's called Yalde Teman, the children of Yemen who were taken from, from their parents. So this is just a few examples of the Rebbe's very passionate embrace of the holy community of Yemenite Jews. Okay, moving on. Next question. Why does the Rebbe seem to play a more significant role in our lives than previous Lubavitcher Rebbe's? Okay. So I, I think I could... I, you could understand this question in two ways, and so I'm, I'm not sure which way the questioner meant, but I'll answer both of them. What, what does it mean that why does the Rebbe pl- seem to play more significant role in our lives than the previous Rebbe's? Do you mean that we emphasize the Rebbe more than we emphasize the Friedrich Rebbe, the Rebbe Rashab, the Semach Tzedek? We learn his Torah more, we, we, we're, we're more into him. If that's what you mean, that our generation is more connected to him than the other Rebbe's, so the answer to that would be that because he's our Rebbe of our generation, that the Rebbe's are like a continuous soul. They're, they're one like flow, fluing, flowing soul from the Alter Rebbe all the way down to the Rebbe. Each one is bringing the previous light down to how it's relevant today. 
the Rebbe would emphasize things in ways that are relevant to our generation, different to the previous Rebbe's. And so, for example, we know that, that the Rebbe uh, emphasized the idea of hafatza, of spreading Yiddishkeit, of going out. This is something the Alter Rebbe did as well, but not in the same way as the Rebbe did. And so the Rebbe did it in a way that is re- very much relevant to our generations, for us personally. And, um, and so therefore, we connect to the Rebbe as the leader of our personal generation, of, of our time. Even though the Rebbe has passed away more than 20 years ago, but the generation hasn't ca- caught up with him yet. We're, we're, we're still going. We're still trying to catch up with all of his instructions, with, with everything that, that he set forth for our generation. And so we're very much still his generation, his times. And uh, so he was, you know, he was ahead of his times. He's still ahead of, ahead of us. So that, that, if that's what the question meant, why we are more connected to, to the Rebbe than we are connected to previous Rebbes, that's the answer. But the, maybe the question meant differently, and that is, we emphasize the Rebbe, the Rebbe is more significant in our lives than the previous Rebbe was in the previous Rebbe's Hasidim's lives or the Rebbe Rashab's Hasidim's lives. We emphasize the Rebbe more than the past generations emphasize the Rebbe. Uh, maybe that's the question. If it is, it's quite, it's quite a, a, an interesting uh, observation because it's true. I, I heard this from an, uh, an older chassid, Rabbi Shalom Ber-Drizen. He was visiting here in Sydney. And his father, was, his name was Rabbi Avram Mayor, one of the great mashpiyim and a very, very holy Jew. And Rabbi Avram Mayor was around in the times of the Rebbe Rashab. When he was a bachar, he was, he was with the Rebbe Rashab. And he also lived in the times of the Rebbe. He threw the Friedrich Rebbe and, and the times of the Rebbe in, in America. And he made an observation of the difference between the chassidim of the Rebbe Rashab and the chassidim of the Rebbe. And he said that he remembers that the Rebbe Rashab once at a Febrengen said that there aren't enough soifrim around. We need more soifrim writing Sifra Torah, Mezuzahs, Tefillin, because there aren't enough soifrim. We need people to do more. And so the Rebbe Rashab made an, a, a, a statement to the Hasidim that people should learn Safras and should, we need because we need more soifrim. So Rabbi Avraham said, how many people do you think took up Safras as a result of the Rebbe Rashab's statement? Zero. Nobody. No, nobody did. I mean, the Rebbe Rashab said it. You know, we, we need more Sofrim. It's true, you know. But no one actually went out and learned Safras. Like, I wasn't planning to be a Sofer. I'm not, I'm not suddenly becoming a Sofer. Like, it just, it just didn't happen. So, imagine the Rebbe would say that. Imagine the Rebbe would have said it if a Brangan. But we need more soifrim. There aren't enough soifrim around. We need, we need people to take up safras. What would happen? You know, and I know what would happen. That straight after Shabbos, that Shabbos when the Rebbe said it, Motsu Shabbos already, there would be a new safra school opening up. All the Bachrim and everyone would be suddenly learning, learning safras. And there'd be massive worldwide mitzvah to become a soifer. And there'd be suddenly thousands of new soifrim around. Because the Rebbe said it, if I bring it, this is what should happen. Because that's how it happened. The Rebbe said things and, and, and it happened. You know, one year the Rebbe said, it was Erev Rosh Hashanah in the afternoon, the Rebbe said that people should have tzedakah boxes in their kitchen. As a part of their kitchen, it sh- it, there, sh- there should be a tzedakah box actually nailed into the wall as a part of the structure of your kitchen to bring tzedakah. When you're cooking, you're not cooking for yourself, but you're giving tzedakah and it'll improve the taste of the food. The Rebbe said this on Erev Rosh Hashanah. Before Rosh Hashanah, people were banging the tzedakah boxes into the wall because this is what the Rebbe said. This is, this is how it is. So the, the question is true. It's an, a true observation. The d- dedication that 
our generation has to the Rebbe is actually more than previous generations. We, we can be very proud of the level of Hasidishkeit and Hiskarshus that we have uh, to the Rebbe, even compared to the great generations of the past. And the reason that Rabbi Yor explained is because the seven Rebbeim of Chabad correspond to the seven emotional faculties of Chesed, Gvur, Teferes, Netzach, Yisoid, and Malchus. The Rebbe corresponds to Malchus, the seventh. Malchus is kingship. Malchus is like the Shekhinah that is present down in this world. It, it, it is a much deeper connection. The, the Rebbe was like Malchus. And so therefore, when the Rebbe says something, it is. Where our connection, he's, he, he was so much more connected and so much more present in our lives, much more than the previous Rebbe's who were higher spheres, but therefore a little bit more aloof. The connection was a bit more distant. Whereas the Rebbe is very present and, and, and we respond, Hasidim respond that way. And therefore we, we, have, we are deeply connected. And so in, in many ways, our generation is connected to the Rebbe in a way greater than previous generations were. Okay. Um, I'm going to go to a question that was placed on the chat. You're welcome all to place either privately to me or to the group, but you can you just write to me privately. This question came up on the chat. Living as a Jewish teenager, young adult in a contemporary society poses great challenges due to the exposure to a modern world. What did the Rebbe think about those that didn't value certain aspects of religiosity? What was his advice? Okay. So, indeed, that that, that is a, a very uh, correct uh, observation that we live in a world that does pose great, great challenges. And unlike we spoke before about the shtetl that had a very encouraging atmosphere to keep Yiddishkeit, in fact, almost a suffocating atmosphere, you couldn't do anything else. We today have very many distractions and very many other opportunities and other options. And so that can pose a great challenge. I think probably more today than in previous times, because even even a generation ago, uh, the influences were much more on the outside, somewhere else. Whereas today, all the influences, positive and negative, are at our fingertips, are in our homes, are, are right in front of us. And so, yeah, it's true. It's it's a it's a much much harder time. But what the Rebbe said was that every generation is on the one hand a Eurydicus, a lower time than previous generations, a harder time, a darker time, a, a, a less holy time. But at the same time, every generation is building on the previous ones, which means that we are higher, greater, and better than any generation that came before us. How can the two be true at the same time? The challenges are greater, but that must mean that our neshamas are also greater. The previous generations don't live now because they couldn't handle living now. You and I were chosen to be in this generation because our neshamas have the power to face the darkness that we have today and to bring light into it. And so, therefore, we are up to this challenge. This is something that the, that the Rebbe made very clear. We are up to this challenge, not because we're better people than the previous generations, because we have all their accumulated history, the, all the holiness that they accumulated, we have it. Like the, like the midget on the giant's shoulders metaphor. And so therefore, we can go higher and deeper and even darker than the previous generations. We have the strength to do that. But 
That doesn't mean that we can't fall. We can. We have free choice. Freedom. Remember, we said earlier about the freedom. We have total freedom, and you can choose. You can choose which world you live in. Um, I'll give you. I'll, I'll explain what I mean by giving a bit of a, a metaphor. Uh, I don't know if you guys uh, follow politics and these type of things. I hope you don't. It's a big waste of time. But the world now is very politically uh, polarized. There's a lot of disagreement about about, about politics today. Uh, in the U.S. politics, in Israel, in many places, things are very pol- polarized more than ever. The reason why people are so polarized today is because each person chooses which reality we live in. We choose which media we consume, which websites we look at, which social media we connect with, who our friends are, who se- who, which, which articles we look at, which videos we watch. We choose a, a, a world that suits us, and that reinforces a certain outlook. Other people have a different outlook to us, but they are choosing their own little bubble and our bubble and their bubble are so different that we think the other must be evil and terrible and horrible. And so therefore there's a lot of polarity. There's a lot of, a lot of harsh, there's a lot, a, lot of, a lot of hatred in the world today. This, again, like everything in modernity, this can be a terrible thing that causes all the riots that we're seeing and all the hatred that we're seeing in the world. Or it also could be an amazingly powerful thing because you and I can choose which reality we live in. What do we fill our minds with? What do we put, put into our heads? Let, let's, let's, let's put it down uh, really clear. We spend a lot of time on, on our various devices, reading, looking, watching, and that is what fills our space and our mind. You can choose what you look at. You can choose what you explore, you can, and you can choose what you stay away from. You can choose that. That's, that's totally your choice. And you're responsible for that choice. Because if you choose a world that is evil and dark and negative and immoral, so then that's where your mind space is, and that's what you think the world is. If you choose to stay away from the world and to fill your mind with holiness and goodness and purity, Torah and, and, and Kedusha, then that's the world you live in. The, be- the best example of this is the Rebbe himself, that the Rebbe was exposed to many, many people. Lots of people came to him. He heard lots and lots of stories. He heard a lot about, about a lot of different people, and he was exposed to everything there is in the, in, the, in the world as far as people's experiences. And yet, he always maintained such a positive, loving, and, and, and a holy way of looking at people. And that, I think was his choice. He chose to, to live in a holy, beautiful world. He could have chosen otherwise, like everyone, you can choose. So we can't be the Rebbe, but we can emulate that in that we can choose to live in a holy world. And that means spending your time on good pursuits. The Rebbe said you can play soccer. You should play soccer. That's going to keep you fit. That's a healthy thing to do. But there are other activities that are not healthy. There are, other, there are other things that you could be looking on, inappropriate things, uh, inappropriate websites, and, and, and places that, that are not, not holy, and that's not good for you. And then you're going to look at the world as being bad. Well, you chose that. You chose to look at the bad, and so you see the bad. If you choose to look at holiness, you'll see, you'll see good and holy. That's, I think, the rubber's view on that one. Okay, here's another one that's come on the chat. What was the Rebbe's opinion on continuously moving forward in Jewish observance 
despite living a modern life with Instagram, listening to non-Jewish music, etc. Wouldn't it be a double standard to have such an imbalanced life? Okay, so I think what the what the question here is meaning is that is it black and white? Are we saying that you're either in the world of holiness, like the Rebbe was, or you're in the world of impurity, darkness, and evil, which is the world of Instagram and non-Jewish music, etc.? Is is it is it one or, one or the other? What if I am a person who I am in that world of Instagram? I am attracted to that that stuff. I, I do listen to non-Jewish music. Let's say, what, what if I'm that person? Do I then not have a place? Would it be wrong of me to be, you know, going to Shurim and learning Torah? Am I am I contradicting myself? Uh, am I being am I lying to myself? Is it a double standard? So, every act of holiness you do is a world in itself. One of the great Hasidim said that even if you've just done a terrible Avera, a really bad Avera, you need to be able to daven to Hashem with the full heart a second later after doing that Avera. And if you haven't done that, you haven't taken the first step of Hasidus. Because Hasidus says that Hashem is infinite. Hashem is all-powerful. Hashem is all-forgiving. And so maybe I did this wrong. That doesn't mean I should do that wrong. And maybe I, I wasn't so holy in that moment, but it doesn't mean I can't be holy in this moment. And so it, it is a tactic of the Yetzirah to say that because I did Avera X, so therefore I shouldn't be doing Mitzvah Y. That because because I'm I'm involved in things that are not so holy, so then how can I try and, and connect with with kedusha and holiness? That that's the Etzahara trying to just stop you doing another mitzvah. Uh, what 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 the Rebbe and what Hasidus would say is, of course, what's wrong is wrong, and we hope to fix all that. But that should never stop you from doing what's right and what's good and what's holy, and you can totally em- embrace that. And you know what? If that is having um, a double standard or being a bit hypocritical, that's all right. Hypocrisy is not as bad as it uh, is made out to be. Um, to be not hypocritical means that you lower your standards, basically, to fit what you do. That's, that, that's someone who's not hypocritical. Whereas someone who's hypocritical says, my standards are up there. I wish I could be up there. I, I aim to be up there. I'm actually down here at the moment. But, but I believe that, that that's what's right. I'm a hypocrite because what I believe is not what I do. Good. That's much better than saying, you know what, I'll bring my standards down to accept what I'm doing. If you're doing things wrong, label it that. I do things wrong. Don't sanctify it. Don't make it fine. Don't say it's all right. It's not all right. You're doing things that are not all right. Hopefully you'll get over it. Hopefully you'll conquer it. Hopefully you'll, you'll, you'll get past it. But this is not right. That doesn't mean I shouldn't do something that is right and that is good. You can always, you, you should, you can always do that. Okay. Now, uh, uh, one's come on the chat, which actually was similar to one I, that I re- re- received um, in advance as well. So, can you give us some tips on how we can kind of get to know the Rebbe better and build a connection with the difficulty of us never being able to experience his physical presence or ever being able to see him? Wonderful question. How do we connect with a Rebbe that we've never met and that we can't go and see him and talk to him? How do we connect with him? So... You know, the last couple of months, we've been doing a lot of this type of Zoom connection, right? And I don't know how you 
have felt about it. But I feel that for many of us, we've shifted in our mindset to realize that you can actually connect quite well virtually. So right now, I'm sitting here in my home, you guys are in your homes, and we're having this discussion, and we're, we're connecting on, on some level. I don't know. I don't know if you feel it. I feel it. I'm sitting here. I don't feel like I'm I'm talking just to like a video. I'm talking to you. I'm talking to people, even though I don't even see your, most of your faces at all. But but there is a, a level of connection, and and we're able to connect through through in su such a way. Now, yes, you you know we've seen each other before. We've been probably in the same room before. We may have said hello, but we don't really know each other. But we can connect in this way. And, and feel somewhat somewhat of, of a bond and a connection. The Rebbe is available much more than, than I am on Zoom. Because once we stop our, our little uh, session, that's it. We've, we've had our, our little time. But the Rebbe, his videos, audios, letters, writings in all languages, it's so available... You can spend so much time and you can know him today better than anyone knew him 40 years ago. We, we hear about Hasidim who you know, lived in Crown Heights. They went to Febrengens. They saw the Rebbe. I'm not belittling that. Of course, that's, that's what we want. But we know way more about the Rebbe's life, about his attitude on, on things, his view of things than even they did. Because it's all available to us in virtual ways, on, on videos, on audios, on articles. But, we, but it's all there, which it wasn't back then. I'll give you a proof. I'll give you, I'll give you a great proof. Have you heard of Rabbi Steinsaltz? Rabbi Adin Steinsaltz. He's quite a, a big scholar. Uh, he wrote an entire commentary on the entire Gemara. He, he's written a whole Gemara. He's written, written a whole Tanakh. He's, he, he was, the Time magazine called him a scholar of the century. Uh, and he's a Chabad Chassid. So there's a well-known story that he told that he was once, he, was, he, he, he did a lot of projects and he did a huge amount of things. He was, he was running a school and a yeshiva and he was writing and he was doing all these things and he was going crazy. It was too much for him. And so he went into the Rebbe and he basically wrote down on, on the, the little note that you write when you meet the Rebbe, all of the projects he's doing. He said, it's too much for me. I, I'm, I'm overburdened. I want to know what I can drop, which project I can drop or which projects I can drop to, to, to free up my schedule. Now, let me ask you, what do you think the Rebbe said when he listed, I'm running yeshiva, I'm writing books, I'm, I'm, I'm run, running school, I'm helping uh, Russian Jews who are coming to Israel. Um, he listed all, the, all the, the great projects he's doing and they asked, which one can I quit? Let me ask you, what do you think the Rebbe said? You don't have to say it. You can say it if you want, or you can say it in your mind. What do you think the Rebbe answered? What should he quit? His yeshiva, his writing, his helping Russian Jews? Like, which thing should he quit? You know that the Rebbe said, you're not quitting anything. The Rebbe said, you need to take on more because if you have enough time to think that I'm too busy, that means that you've got too much time on your hands. You need to be doing more things and take on more projects. And, and, and that's what, what he told him, as the Rebbe told many, many people. Now, what's fascinating is that a lot of you could have guessed that that's what the Rebbe would say. That the Rebbe would not say, yeah, 
drop down, take a, take a vacation, uh, take it easy. Uh, the Rebbe asked for more. We know that because we know the Rebbe's responses. Rabbi Steinsatz, who was a very close chassid of the Rebbe, who had many personal audiences with the Rebbe, he was, he's not a stupid man, but he thought that he could ask the Rebbe, what should I quit? And the Rebbe was going to give him an, an idea what to quit. We, we know the Rebbe better than that. We know that the Rebbe is not going to give him, give him something to quit because we have all the stories. We have so much information. There's, you know, there, there's biographies written about every detail of the Rebbe's life. If you want to connect to the Rebbe, you connect by learning his teachings and, and fulfilling them. And I'll tell you what, try this because I don't think anyone who's tried it, it hasn't worked. If you want a connection with the Rebbe, if that's what you're actually saying, that you would like to be able to connect with him, but we've never seen him, try. Try connecting with him by learning his teachings. Try connecting with him by writing a letter explaining your spiritual situation and asking for a bracha. Try this. Do it. Send it. And you tell me if you don't have a connection after that. Try it. I understand that it's it's not as easy as just going to Crown Heights, seeing him, seeing it for you know, it's not as easy. But if you don't go, then you can't have a connection. If you try, then then you will. And and I and I, I promise you it'll work. Try it and, and you'll see. All right. We're almost running out of time. We're gonna try and do another uh, question here from the chat. The Rebbe was a prominent representative of Jews in America and has expanded Judaism not only nationally but globally. Was there any risk to the Rebbe's life like there has been to leaders like uh, Martin Luther King and Malcolm X who attempted to shape the society for the black community? Additionally, what was his perspective on the black movements? Okay. Was there any risk to the Rebbe's life? So I don't know of any uh, assassination attempts or anything like that on, on the Rebbe's life. Um. The Rebbe was a public figure. He would walk to and from shul without uh, any guards. Of course, Hasidim were always watching, and there was always someone watching. But, uh, and, and, you know, late at night in Crown Heights, you don't have to be a public figure to be accosted on, on the street and to be in danger. And so when the Rebbe would walk home, sometimes three in the morning or whatever it was, always people would walk a few steps behind just to make sure he's okay. But that was not because of any particular personal threat to the Rebbe. That was because of the danger of the streets of Brooklyn at night. Um, so as far as I know, he, he was not, there was no uh, particular danger to him. Uh, and certainly he, um, he, didn't, he didn't feel the need to protect himself any more than Hashem protected him. Um, but um, what was his perspective on the black movements? So there's a few videos that have gone around now uh, that came from the times of the riots in 1991, where the Rebbe spoke to the mayor of the time, David Dinkins, who was a black man himself, who unfortunately was uh, not necessarily very helpful in the, in the racial tensions that were going on at the time. And Dinkins said to the Rebbe something about, you know, we should pray for a time when our two peoples should be able to come together in peace. This was a time when Blacks were rioting in Crown Heights. There was violence against Jews, including one Australian Chabadnik, um, Yanko Rosenbaum, who was killed. Um, and and so when this David Dinkins said that uh, there should come a time when our two peoples should be able to come together in peace, the Rebbe's response was astounding. The Rebbe said, not two peoples, one people in one city under one God. 
That's what he said to, to the black mayor of, of, of New York City. And, um, and so the Rebbe's view was that every human being was created in the image of, of God and, and, and is deserving of respect for that reason. Um, and, uh, and the Rebbe got on very well with uh, the, the locals. There was a politician in Crown Heights um, who actually was inspired to become a politician because of the Rebbe. He was a kid growing up in Crown Heights, and once he was having a fight with his brother as a little kid on the street. Um, um, James E. Davis was his name. So if you, you could look him up, James E. Davis. He was having a fight as a kid on the street, and suddenly this Jewish man came up and said, uh, your brothers, stop fighting. You, ha you have to get on, and, and you, have to, you have to work together. And hitting and violence is not the way. You need to talk. This, this is what he said. And this little kid looked up at this rabbi and he'd never heard a message like that, that violence is not the way and you can talk. And so he and his brother were inspired to change the entire view in, in his community of violence. And they actually, um, he went into politics. I remember when I was in Crown Heights, I saw he, he lived right around the corner from 770 and he would... Um, he would. He had a um, a sign on his on his out, outside his house saying "Stop the violence," and that was that was his whole. He dedicated his life to stopping violence in his own community because the Rebbe stopped him on the street fighting with his brother and said, "Violence is not the way. You you, you have to talk." Um, and uh, sadly, he was actually assassinated. This guy, he was killed. The man who stood up for stop stop the violence himself himself was killed. The Rebbe certainly. Embraced the the rights of the black community, uh, but the Rebbe always emphasized that the way forward is education. That that unfortunately in in many communities, the education is is lacking. Education not just of 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 reading and writing, education of morality. Of that, there's a God in the world who expects you, more of you, who wants you to be a good person, who created you in His image. That that message when that's lost. So then everything is lost. Uh, this was something that the Rebbe wanted all peoples to recognize. And, uh, and that would be uh, um, the way out of crime and poverty and all, and, and all the terrible things that many of these people are suffering from. So with that, we're going to call it a night. Thank you for listening. Thanks for your wonderful questions. Um, Thanks so much for your time. Absolute pleasure. And uh, let's do it again. All the best. Yeah, thank you. Have a great night. Good Shabbos. Keep well. Good Shabbos all. Thank you.